Good morning, church, and um, thanks to God for this time where we get to um, have our hearts and our minds focused on his word as he speaks to us today. Um, and just thanking God for also for helping us resolve the you know the issues that we've we've um, been battling with this morning. There's there's nothing that God sets on course and uh, good to do that doesn't come without a fight. <laughs> Thank God for seeing us through that this morning. Um, going in straight into um, Nehemiah, going into our current series, where. <clears throat> In week two of um, a series that we've captioned uh, on changing God in changing times. And uh, just last week, um, Pastor Rich took us through uh, the first chapter in Nehemiah and where we're looking at, where he was talking about Rome not being built in a day. And um, while reviewing the while reviewing my notes last night, I had to say to myself, you know, God is faithful, you know. God is faithful. Um, I'm tempted as I stand here to sing a contemporary Yoruba wedding an anthem. Um, but when you translate that, I mean I mean those who are those who know this song would know what I'm would know how the tune goes. But when you translate it into English, it <clears throat> comes out saying, it's like a big call, come and see what Jesus has done. Come and see what Jesus has done. He says what he does, or says what he will do, and he does what he says, you know, and he sends his help to us. You know, as God leads us through this series, Let's bear this point in mind. You know, it will help us to follow what God is doing in this account and in our times. Um, <clears throat> as we work our way through Nehemiah, today going to look at the second chapter, God continues to restore his city the city that is called by his name, Jerusalem. You know, he used the superpowers of Nehemiah's day and those opposed to his will as well to work to accomplish his plans. This is what God's doing. And God is bringing his own people back to himself according to his promises by his prophets. I mean, see with me, looking Look at Moses, for example, in Leviticus 26 and 33, talking about you, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you. This is God speaking to his own people. And your, as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. That doesn't sound like God to his own people. Wow, that's, that's, that's tough. Yet, God promised to bring the same people back. I mean, look again. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you find, this, find, you find God saying, So it shall be 
when all of these things, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verses 1 to 3, it says, so it shall be when all of these things have come upon you. Uh, I just realized that, you know, people were actually following <laughs> Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 to 3. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you. Note that it's God who's actually doing these things. God set out the blessing. God set out the curse. You know, um, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God not the enemy, not those who come and conquer you, where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God. You return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from, from captivity and have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So notice it's God who's doing the scattering, God who's doing the, the bringing back. I mean, and there's, there's <coughs> this is all God speaking what he will do. Perhaps as we came to the end of the last, um, last week, of the, and, and, the, and the end of chapter 1, just in retrospect and looking back, reflecting on Nehemiah's prayers. Perhaps Nehemiah in praying has also read the prophecies of Jeremiah. And where Jeremiah prophesies to Judah both warning, warning of Babylonians coming to deplete the city, deplete Jerusalem, burn the city and break down its walls and take the people into captivity, just according to what God had spoken many, many centuries before. You find this if you're um, um, wanting to do some further study later in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 28. And you also, probably Jeremiah, um, Nehemiah has read where Jeremiah prophesied to Judah, telling how God plans to bring them back to Jerusalem after 70 years in exile to discipline the rebellious children. Um, and this is the context for that popular Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12 passage, you know, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for the welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But God, before this, I said, listen, I'm sending you out. Get out of my city. Get out of my house. Get out. I don't need you here. Rebellious children, before he goes on to say this. And he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. When the people return with their heart first to God, then God brings them back into the city according to those words. There's so much to say about this, but my goal is, if God shows that he can uphold his word by shocking his own people out, his own children, I mean, I get this picture of 
and it happens where parents have children, you know, they get boisterous, get to be teenagers. I mean, I'm an adult now. I can do everything. This is my life. I can run things the way I want. Parents love their children, all right. But if it comes to the point where, listen, son or daughter, we, we, we just can't, we, we don't have two parents in this house. I run things here. If you're going to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being in my house, you, you toe the line or else it's out. It's the road for you. And this is what Israel experiences in Jerusalem being sacked. And Nehemiah knows this from looking back at God's word. Can we identify with this? Can we identify with Nehemiah praying and looking and hoping for God to restore his people? You know, as we recap on this and see um, the people's shortcomings, he also sees his shortcomings as well in his prayers. Just recapping on and, and looking back at last week where he's praying and looking and hoping for God's promise of a return to Jerusalem to happen, wants to see it happen. You see? But here's the thing again, and I've made the point already. Where God's own people won't listen, and God shipped them out and given the land a rest from all that palaver, well, how about us? Where do we stand? How, does this, how is this important for us? Why are we looking at this old story of Nehemiah? Um, does this apply? Pastors, what were you thinking when you actually had us go through this old book? <laughs> well, you see, I said it's important to bear in mind that God does what he will say. He sacked these children out of, his, out of his house. And he is the one who decides and says beforehand he will bring them back when their heart returns to him. So, in the same way, notice, God had already determined they will come back. Grace is extended at the same time as the strong hand of God is applied, as discipline is applied to these kids. Send them away. They're not listening to me. But he's gracious in doing so. Leaving the door open. You can come back when your heart comes back to me. The same grace God extends to us today. For all who um, are alive today. We read in God's word that, you know, God is long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish. God is gracious. I don't know who's listening to this. Uh, and I was saying to myself as I prepared, I'm not the best of preachers. But as you hear this, I don't know who's speaking to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. As you hear this and maybe think it's all a whole load of fairy tales and stories. Listen, God's reaching out to you today. And making known his provision, how you can come into relationship with God for real, better than anything the world can offer, anything the world holds out there. Because 
God himself comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes human like we are. And he was crucified according to God's plan for the sins of the world. This is grace. Before we even get to know the Lord. That includes me. That includes whoever falls short and doesn't please God, but trusts in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, giving, life on the, giving his life on the cross for sin to God. Jesus makes it possible for all who rely on him to remain in God's presence. But all this is just reflecting, looking back at what makes it possible at all for God to restore, for God's city to be rebuilt. And um, much as this is at the start of the new year, this is only the second week or the second Sunday, um, we all have plans for what we want to do, some, what new business, what um, resolutions we've made. And into the second week, well, this is not about, this is not necessarily directly about those things, uh, but still, it's related and it's important. But well, here's the call that God makes. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Take this to mind and count on it. It's important. So we're going to look at chapter 2 today of this text. And... Um, question, how are we going to walk through this section of the narrative? When we take a quick scan of chapter 2, only looking for references to a city, um, it's clear what Nehemiah has in mind to do, to rebuild the walls of Jer around Jer Jerusalem. He made many references to it, to the city, the place of my father's tombs, in um, chapter 2 and verse 3. Verse 4, verse 8, he makes reference to the city, the place of my father's tombs. And we know that city is Jerusalem when we look at verses 11, 12, 13, 17, and 20. That's the city that he's thinking about rebuilding. How do you go about, how do you rebuild a city that's got God's name on it? How do you rebuild God's city? Um... I want to suggest that, you know, we, can, we rebuild God's city by, you know, humbly accepting and seeking God's opportunity. Um, we rebuild God's city by faithfully trusting in God's protection. Uh, we also do this by honestly meditating on the state of the city and really eventually revealing the plans for God's glory. In that city. So let's go for the first point. How do you rebuild God's city? Humbly accept and seek God's opportunity. In the first eight verses of our section today, um, Nehemiah chapter 2, we see that um, at the end of chapter 1, Nehemiah finds himself in the presence of as Pastor Rich put it last week, this man. But no ordinary man, a king indeed, a ruler um, of the kind of magnitude that you could say compare 
who? What's his name? I can only remember his surname. Putin. <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Or Donald Trump. You know, that kind of leader. One who rules mightily and has a very large domain. You know. Or somewhat like Queen Victoria. Ruled the British Empire. You know, on which they say the sun never sets. A very large domain in his control. Um, well, at the meeting, Nehemiah finds himself facing some really daunting questions. But let's read through the, let's read, read through the section quickly. So in that meeting, and it came about in the month of Nisan, or Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Pause for a second. This is in God's timing. When you look at the first verse, this is in God's timing. God has set the times and the seasons for accomplishing his plans and his purposes for Jerusalem. Nehemiah, bless him, was sad in the king's presence. This guy, I mean, is a king's butler. Just... Think about it. I don't know if any one of you here has met Her Majesty the Queen or ever imagined meeting Her Majesty the Queen or one of the princes and thought, boy, what would I do when I get to meet this guy? How would I greet him? Would I say hi or hello or Your Majesty? I mean, we, we may have learned the etiquettes and kind of known that, okay, when you get to meet the Queen, you don't make physical contact, you don't touch her, you greet her, Her Majesty. And then afterwards, if you're continuing conversation, it's probably ma'am or that sort of thing. But we've never met this, this woman. This guy knows, he would know about etiquettes in the presence of the king. He knows how to behave in the king's presence. But on this occasion, look at verse 2. So the king said to me, Oi, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. He knows how to conduct himself in the king's presence, but here is Nehemiah has prayed about this. He sought favor in God's presence, but then it's the king, or rather, God creates the opportunity and the king opens the door for it. In God's timing, after this visit, Nehemiah finds himself sad, burdened, and the king notices it. God created this opportunity and opened that door for these questions or answers or the opportunity for um, God's city to be rebuilt. So the king said to me, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. This, then I was very much afraid. And the king said to me, what would you request? And the rest of the conversation follows where um, Nehemiah sees, wow, God is really giving me the opportunity here. Does he see that? Perhaps he's not sure. And the king said to me, verse 4, sorry, 
Verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. He's back in, back in form now. He knows the etiquettes. Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and, and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? Wow. How would you respond to that? That's something you could easily say. Um, kind of like, you know, get on the phone to the, chi- to the Uber Eats and order, I want this, one that, want this, one that, or, you know, fast food shop and place your orders. Nehemiah recognizes this is an opportunity that God has created. And what does he do? Goes back to God. I don't know if you remember John the Baptist when he was beheaded. And the daughter of... Um, uh, what was her name? <sighs> Herod's daughter, Salome, comes and asks her mom. The king says, I should, what do I want? And she goes and asks her mom, what should I ask for? And she asks for John the Baptist's head. But this is Nehemiah recognizing, wow, this is God. This is a God-given opportunity. And he goes back to God and prays to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. You know what? King didn't look at him and go, what do you know? You're a butler. You just serve cocktails here. What's your business doing building projects? You know? He asked God before he asked the king. And God favorably creates the opportunity and gives this response. Then the king said to him, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So he pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. There's a lot more we can say about this in terms of, you know, who may have influenced the king's decision and all that, but we know God set the times and the seasons for accomplishing his plans and his purposes and he creates this opportunity for Nehemiah and and there's an open door and the time is right for God's city to be rebuilt and here's a king's butler in captivity finding himself being the one to ask and receive God's opportunity to rebuild a city well He asked for some other things, um, some time off, how long will your journey be, and um, letters to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, because the the king manages a whole vast expense, and letters to the keeper of the king's forest for timber, for materials he'll need for the work. You see, question we ask at this point, how did God bring, how does God bring such things to pass? That people in places of power and authority and people of little significance come together to do God's will. You know, I, as, as I said about this, I just think and reflect, you know, the person who cleans the office. Maybe the tea, per, the guy who serves tea to the cabinet at Downing Street. Or a person who cleans the office and, and um, at work, 
running into the one who manages the entire country. How does God work these things? Is this typical with God? Is this how God works? Well, when we go throughout scripture, we find, yeah, there is a pattern to it. And reading in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verses 27 to 29, you see, Paul points something out. Paul the Apostle points out something in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. That God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Remember, ultimately, God is accomplishing his plans, his purposes, and he's bringing them about. What he says he will do is what he does, and he does according to what he says. And um, he uses them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Even Nehemiah himself can't boast and say, well, you know, just imagine Nehemiah running a school, a school of business strategy after this in Jerusalem. All right, everybody sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you need to know the etiquettes of how to talk to the king. You need to know the right opportunity. Don't just rush in there. You could get killed. No, no, no. Nothing like that at all. There's nothing for him to boast about. Um, because he was taken away in captivity. He was sacked from, his, from the city of God. He'd probably never been there. Grew up in Persia or finds himself serving as a butler to the king. Well, this is the thing. Those small insignificant people, they actually are there in the name and in the power of the one who sets the times and the seasons, you know, in his own power to accomplish his own purposes. I keep repeating this again because as we go through Nehemiah, that will be so important to guide us. We're looking back to a time of, of past, um, a time past in God's plan of redemption, in God's plan of bringing all of creation back to himself. Even though we are here years, centuries ahead of what the situation was for the children of Israel, ours is different. It's even better, you know. But there's so many examples in Scripture. Joseph finds himself sold by his brothers into slavery. And in Egypt, accused of sexual assault. In Pharaoh's prison, you know, meets up with the cupbearer and the baker. And then he finds himself appointed to Pharaoh's palace. Wow. To deal with a famine, you know, so that he would rescue his family from famine in keeping with God's plan to bring them there. God's plan of redemption. It's a big, big thing. Bigger than building the city even that Nehemiah finds himself going to do. It doesn't end there. What can we say of Esther, Daniel, Rahab? All people that God placed to fulfill his eternal purposes. If you can imagine, an egg timer is still loading. God's still doing that today. Where do we find ourselves in terms of 
opportunity to do God's plans, opportunity to take part in God's plans of redemption, eternal plans. He's still doing that right now. Who is speaking about Jesus today? Who is talking about Jesus Christ today to you? Who, who are we, who am I speaking about Jesus Christ to today? Or at any time recently? They probably don't amount to much by any standards. Yet, what we speak or what whoever it is speaks about is life-changing, speaking about Jesus Christ. And it satisfies more than anything you could get a thrill out of in this world. So, here we go. King's butler finds himself opportunity to rebuild a city. Well, how do you build God's city? Uh, humbly accept God-given or divine opportunity. And then, um, wait a minute. Did you say butler? Coming to, to redevelop the town next door? Next to me? Wait a minute. That, that, that would come up. That would bring challenges. That would bring opposition. That would bring people. That would ruffle some feathers. So with such challenges ahead, how do you rebuild a city? Take divine opportunities. And next, faithfully trust in God's protection. Second point, faithfully trust in God's protection. Well, from verse 9, we see Nehemiah <clears throat> heading out now to Jerusalem. And he comes to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and uh, shows them the king's letters. And obviously the king had thrown in some soldiers as well. The king sent with him officers of the army and horsemen. I confess here, yeah, I binge on TV series too sometimes. So I recently decided to watch this um, Turkish series on Netflix um, called Resurrection. And it's based on battles for a Turkish state about the time of the Crusades. As old as the history was, it, did, it didn't lack an intrigue. You know what? The Crusaders would attack the Turks. They would trade, they would attack the Turkish trade convoys to cause a sense of insecurity. They would plant spies amongst them. They would, to gather intel, they would take key people hostage so that these Turks don't engage in military campaigns. They would do all these things to protect their own interests and frustrate the interests of their perceived enemy. When Sambal at the Horonite, verse 10, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, these guys weren't happy. They were very displeased that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. You see, God made additional provision for Nehemiah I don't think I noticed him asking the king for soldiers to accompany him. But he made some extra provision. Giving some muscle, you know, and authenticity. Letters, of course, with the king's seal. Practically speaking, yes, this was needful. And Nehemiah did well to accept the protection that God had given for him. You see, this kind of sets the, the, the scene or helps us to see um, additional remarks that Nehemiah makes about keeping, maintaining secrecy 
or wisdom and dis discretion, trying to be discreet about what he's going about to do. Because, um, <clears throat> and as we think about it, we might stop and ask the question, could God not have taken care of these enemies for Nehemiah? You know, take care of the enemies and um, wipe them out. He just took one angel in during the exodus of Israel coming out of Egypt and going to Canaan. Took one angel to just cause 180,000 people to just fall dead. God could do that. But <clears throat> as we think about this, I, I just, pers on personal reflection, I think I realize, this is personally speaking, I think I realize late in life that life is hard. I don't know if anybody can identify with that. Life is hard. Just because the king has given letters and soldiers doesn't mean Nehemiah won't face any challenges. I mean, why does he need to face challenges? God has already given him, you know, a divine opportunity and protection. What's the need for the challenges then? <laughs> Isn't that the nature of everything in this fallen world? Everything in this fallen world. God doesn't rush to the rescue of Nehemiah at the slightest hint of difficulty. With, but with every challenge, we can count on God's unchanging presence to protect us. We can count on that challenge serving to build us up and prepare us even for all the challenges that lie ahead. And boy, did Nehemiah have plenty. I was just talking about the series I watched with intrigue. You would, you would see intrigue in, be like, what? Really? God's own people scheming against God's own people? Wow. That's not, there's nothing new under the sun. That's where we are right here until we receive the eventual redemption, the promise of God. I said earlier on, this is in, earlier on in God's plan for eternal redemption. God bringing everything back to himself. To a city where there is no death anymore. Where there is no sickness anymore. Where there, is, where there are no tears anymore. Boy, there won't be COVID there. You know, we're looking for that. But with this, things can and will be difficult at times. But when those times come, God's faithfulness is already displayed in, in his unfailing promises. Listen to this. Let me not take like we said, like Pastor Rich said earlier, we're not going to, you know, go through this line by line. But think to note in this, even in, um, you know, um, in faithfully trusting God's protection, remember this. The temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. I can hear 
I can, I, yes, I can hear people asking, no, that is just nonsense. We're dealing with bereavement. Yes, it's been there from the beginning of the world. It still is there now. But guess what? Good news. Guess who died and rose again? Jesus Christ. Promise. A hope that we're all called to look forward to and trust in and rely upon. Take to the bank, as the Americans will say. <laughs> Whatever that means. We can bank on it. That Jesus, who died and rose again, gives us hope that we will have eternal life. We're seeing death all around us now. Does that mean that's it? We can never hope for life again? If you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is true. There is hope for life even after death. And it's real. God is faithful. He will not even allow that that we experience. Um be more than we can stand. And the hope of eternal life that he owes out to us is real. It surpasses this. It trumps death. Death will be no more. So, how do you build God's city? Humbly seek God's opportunity. Faithfully trust God's protection. And then, of course, honestly meditate on the state of the city. We read... Um, in verses 11 through to 16 of Nehemiah taking time to inspect the state of the city, the state of the city. He didn't tell anyone, verse 12, he didn't tell anyone what God had put in his mind. I want us to take note of that. It was something God had put in his mind. I tell you what. There have been people who would see <laughs> opportunities, God-given opportunities, great opportunities. You could bring 10 people to an opportunity. Not everyone would jump at it. Not everyone would respond to it in the same way. This is not new. God redeemed Israel out of Egypt and from slavery in Egypt and took them to the borders of the promised land and sent 12 guys in there, go spy out the land, come back with report. 10 guys came back. Yeah, the land's good. It's nice, really nice. But boy, <sighs> see those guys here? Yeah? <laughs> They are way, in fact, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We felt like grasshoppers in their presence. So you know what? Yeah, it's good, but you know, well, let's just find some, some way of getting back to Egypt, yeah? Because this is not going to happen. Two, however, responded. Nah, God has brought us here. God is able to see us here. We will take this land and 
In this, we see different responses to opportunities that God has given. But then, knowing that there will be challenge, knowing that there will be opposition, knowing that there will be, um, that we can be presumptuous as well about the opportunity, even looking in ourselves, Nehemiah takes time. He doesn't tell anybody what God's put in, into his mind. He doesn't show up on scene and say, hey guys, look, I've arrived. King's letters, timber for the gates. I've even got soldiers, muscle. So if anybody comes and touch you, sort them out while we build. No. Takes time. Looks at what God has put in his mind and goes around to see it, what God has actually given him to do. Or what God has actually given to be done. Well, he inspects the, the walls, goes around, and by this time even the officials did not know. The officials being, let me explain that. When, um, when the superpowers of, of their day, first the Babylonians, now the Persians who are ruling, come take over a city, it took away the, 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 the wealthy, took away the richest, took away the rulers, and left the poorest of the poor in the city to do what? To farm, to do really menial tasks. And you can, and if, if you're thinking, boy, why, why, did they, why, why did they do it that way? You guess right, so that these guys would be there serving their purposes. A bit like, okay, a colonial move. We've colonized this place. This is part of us now. You there, remain there to serve our purposes. And they appointed officials to be in charge of things in the area. Nehemiah says in verse 16, the officials didn't know where he'd gone. Even though he had the king's letters, they didn't know where he'd gone. He maintained a bit of dis discretion there. When you think about the kinds of plans that um, officials had against Jews, not unlike the kind of thing that Esther, if, you, if you've read in the Bible, Esther, the book of Esther is about, um, it, it's really kind of a reflection of the situation that Jews who found themselves in exile, taken away from Jerusalem, find themselves among the Persians is the kind of thing that they threats that they found themselves up against an existential threat so that this guy who's an official of the king in the king's court decides king you know what let's make a law these Jews they're a troublesome lot let's just wipe them out don't worry it's not going to cost the government anything I'll put the money forward for it we'll sort them out these Jews are a troublesome bunch. End of story. We get rid of them. Problem solved. These guys could have these kinds of intentions toward the Jews. Not wanting to see their welfare. Remember, they've been away in exile for a long time. And then now somebody's coming back to look for the Jews' interests? Nah. It's going to upset things. It's going to ruffle feathers. So discretion is needed. Discreetness is needed. I mean... In even knowing what kind of things could go on in the corridors of power. And it's not as if God was not aware of such things. 
or such going-ons faced by his people. And um, even in assessing the work as well, one other thing to just bear in mind here, Nehemiah looked and saw the city in its ruins. The city had actually been burned. When it was destroyed, walls knocked down, temple burned, gold burnt down, articles, important things taken away, everything of wealth and, and substance removed. And all you had left here were just ruined, burnt bricks, burnt stones to work with. But that's the physical. What actually led to this? The rebellious hearts of the children of God. The rebellious people themselves. So that God brought that destruction upon the city himself. Using others to bring it about. So in inspecting, whilst looking at physical walls, those were just there. More like a reminder as a, a, a token of how bad the hearts of the people were, far removed from God. It's just like, what comes to my mind right now is the phrase, playing church. We can play church the whole life. We can come to church and do, you know, be on our P's and Q's and do like, yeah, we know the prayers to say, we know the the words to speak. We even know how to handle the Bible and teach. <laughs> but have a heart that is far removed from God. Have a heart that is just doing its own thing entirely. Don't find it surprising that there are that we can actually we can actually pretend to be people of God. This is some kind of a self-assessment for us now I'm inviting us to do. Honestly, honestly, meditate on the state of the city. Honestly, meditate on the state of what God is trying to rebuild here. Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If, if Christ is the one doing the rebuilding and Christ is the one bringing, building his house now, I know we talked about a city. We're looking forward to also a new city, a heavenly Jerusalem coming out of heaven. This is something that God has said he will do. It's in God's plan of redemption. It's a city where those who belong to God will be brought in. That's where there will be no tears, no death, no illness, no everything. I'm sure we all want to be there. And boy, this is, if I'm going to be honest, pressure. It's like, boy, I, I can't live up to this. I can't. I cannot. There's no way. What's the solution then? What do we do about this? How do we get to, 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 to achieve or attain that? You know what this calls for? I've heard somebody say this. All of us who are believers especially, there's need for all the time to just constantly keep preaching the gospel to myself. 
keep preaching the gospel, how am I saved? It's not, it's not doubt. No, don't get me wrong. But it's, it's like, the, like, like the word of God says, study to show yourself approved. It's not about looking good before anyone. It's not about looking good before you or those who sit here. Yeah, I can look good before you. Then what? How do I answer to God? How do I answer to Jesus Christ who's building the church? How do I answer to God who's, who's right now making, bringing all believers to build, bringing us all as, as lively stones? A metaphor, of course. You know, but God is building, God is rebuilding, restoring all to himself and making us into a, a dwelling place where he inhabits by his spirit. How do we get there? How do we get in there? Without really just honestly meditating on the state of the city of God. And yes, we'll be built into that city. We'll be building. We'll definitely be part of it. Building in that city. So, um, on reflection, and, and, and this, I'll be honest, um, is something that we're called to do. Something that we, we can't stop doing. We really can't afford to stop doing. And it's not like it's, 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 a, it's an extra work as such. The work's already been done. Christ has won that place. We, we can be in God's presence. No fear about that. But constantly remind ourselves of these things. Reflect and meditate on the state of the city. And finally, heartily declare the plans for God's glory heartily declare the plans for God's glory. In 17 to 20, Nehemiah goes out having assessed things, recognizing the place where we are at, recognizing where we're at, seeing the opportunity that God's created, trusting in God's protection, uh, comes out then we're able to come out and, and say, look, see the bad situation we're in. Let's not, let's not butter it up. There's no need nice, need sugar, sugar coating the thing. It's, it's bad. We're in a bad way. We can't measure up of ourselves before God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. You just think, why the emphasis, Paul? Yeah, no, not one. That's God saying it. See the way we are. Jerusalem is desolate and his gates burned by fire. Obviously, because God was real, I don't want to say vexed, but he was rightly vexed <laughs> and brought this on. But now is the time. This is the time. Today is the day when you hear his voice. He told them how the hand of his God has been favorable to me. This is a testimony to God's faithfulness. This is a testimony to the fact that God is at work. God is working, even now. 
That song is going on in my head, that chorus. God is working. He's still working. God is working even now. Hmm. It may, I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> it may not seem that way right now. Something like that. <laughs> God is working. Yeah, he's still working even now. And, he, and, and Nehemiah declares it. God's been favorable. Look at his, how his hands been favorable to me. And also about the king's words which the king spoke. These people wouldn't have known that. They're probably living in, living in the regions in, in, in destitution, working hard on farm. And before the, 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 you know, as soon as the harvest is out, then people come and just beat them and take the produce and take it away. But the people who are the gainsayers come out and say, look, <coughs> what's this you're doing? You're trying to rebel against the king. You're trying to, do, to upset the status quo. Really, which is what they're confessing. And yes, there will be challenge when you declare. When we declare God's plans, what God is doing, even now in the church, in the world. It's not new. It's not new. You'll be labeled all kinds of things. I'm, I'm tempted to just, let me put that hobby horse down. Because <laughs> when I start talking about, you know, on social commentary, on the way the world, even this world, and this world of believers too, speak about God's plans and God's purpose, God's message, the gospel, you'd wonder, are you talking about the same God? Hmm. But it all ties back to the purpose of God. In bringing his people back to Jerusalem, he placed it in the mind of Nehemiah to rebuild the city. He placed Nehemiah in the palace for a time like this. Much as it was in their day to seek the glory of their city, this was in fact about the glory of God and his name in all the earth. You know, there be people who want to jump in and steal the show. But like Paul said to Simon, or like Nehemiah said to Sambalat and Tobiah, popular names we hear of them because they want to jump in and steal God's show. You have no part. You can have no part in this. Why? Your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. This is Paul talking to Simon, the sorcerer, just like Nehemiah saying to Sambalat and Tobiah, you have no part, no portion, no right or memorial in Jerusalem. What is pertinent here is, is, is well described in the book of Hebrews as we conclude. Sure, these people returned to the city, to their city, city they knew to be the city of their father's tombs. However, the sin that got them chucked out in the first place in this fallen world would still be there. By the time we go further along in Nehemiah, we'll see that reality. It will still be there, and they, and they would have a temple there. 
And they would make sacrifices there for sin again and again and again. He, the writer of Hebrews says, puts it this way, in Hebrews 11, 39, from verse 39. Hebrews 11, from verse 39. All these people, they earned a good reputation based on their faith. I mean, Nehemiah acted in faith, went out believing, seizing the God-given opportunity. You know, received God's protection. Meditated on the state of things and declared God, God's plans, went ahead, they built the city. They received this, they, they received this. But yet none of them received all that God had promised them. They, they didn't receive all that God had promised. Didn't Nehemiah rebuild the city? Yes, he did. But was that, it? Was that all? Was that promise lasting, enduring? Didn't they, wasn't there sin again? Didn't Jesus come back to Jerusalem again and cry about Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that's the city that kills its prophets. At least by the time Jesus shows up on scene, it's like, oh, what's new? <laughs> I don't think Jesus rolled his eyes, but, <laughs> you know, what's new? Um, but, but God had something better in mind, Hebrews 11.40. Hebrews 11.40. For God has something better in mind for us. So that they, even from earlier part of God's redemption plan, would not reach perfection without us. Today. Wow. That's amazing. Us as well. And here is the encouragement for us as we close. Those guys looking for redemption, really looking for redemption. The city rebuilt was just a symbol of the heavenly kingdom. We also are looking for a heavenly kingdom. We may be looking for a perfect church on earth. <laughs> we may be looking for a perfect fellowship, perfect believers on earth by the grace of God <laughs> but guess this those guys too are also looking for this same redemption that God is working out since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us put aside every weight that slows us down Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I don't know who doesn't get tripped up. I get tripped up. Let's run with endurance. The race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates, who starts and completes and perfects our faith. Look at Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. He died, but now is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. That's where we look to go. The city whose maker and builder is God, whose light is God, 
in God's presence right there as we contribute and take part in building that city of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for doing, saying what you will do and actually doing what you say you will do. You bring your word to pass. You're faithful. You hold out eternity. You hold out eternal life for us. You hold out an eternal city to which you call us. And you give us opportunity to build when you say, seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness therein. And all these things will be added unto you. As we come into this new year, as we consider your plans, your purpose, your eternal purpose in Jesus Christ, Lord, set it in our hearts. Open opportunities for us. Help us to humbly uh, receive the Entrust ourselves to you, Lord, and really see where we are with you, Lord. And step out declaring your purpose, your plan for your glory. Lord, help us to do all of these things, even as we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.